You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. And look what God is doing at Ridgewood Church. Outside, we have this beautiful new parking lot. There's wonderful landscaping, and it's all set in front of that wonderful canopy and a cross that really makes a statement about who we are. The restoration inside, though quite not, not quite finished, is gorgeous, and God allowed the work to continue even during a national crisis, and I'm really thankful to Him for that. As of August 25th, even in the midst of an economic vacuum, our giving is ahead of last year. And we're just a bit behind our budget projections, but I still find that to be an amazing gift from God. In the last four years, the church has grown 25 to 30%. But most importantly, in the last two and a half years, 113 souls have been saved right here locally at Ridgewood Church. So God is with us. There's no doubt that His hand of blessing is guiding us. And as our Illuminate building project becomes a reality, we can join Him in His work by both fulfilling the pledges that we've already made and by getting involved for the first time. Because it's up to you and me to illuminate our city with an unswerving loyalty to the values of the kingdom of Christ. When we talk about finances, sometimes we just talk about money. And we are in the building campaign, so that's important. But money is just a reflection. It's a reflection of what we treasure. It's a glimpse into the heart. So our time together is about money, but more importantly, it's about discipleship. It's about loyalty. It's about what we are investing in. And to discover the Lord's will in this area, we will turn to the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus will teach us that His kingdom isn't like culture. It doesn't value wealth or power or prestige. The value of Christ's kingdom revolve around the things of God. Things like humility. Things like selflessness. and A total investment into God's work. So today we'll see what it means to align our lives with the values of Christ's kingdom. And to do that, we're going to go to a passage in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And if you have a Bible nearby or an iPad or a phone, grab that and follow along with me. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And of course, this is the famous talk by Jesus on the side of a hill near the Sea of Galilee. We refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus will use three important metaphors to help us understand how to align our lives with his kingdom priorities. And they are treasure, light, and slavery. But the Lord will make it very clear that you can't live both for temporal things and for eternal things at the same time. It doesn't work. So here's the text, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the other darkness? And then in 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is really poignant, and Jesus is really leaving no doubt on the table about what he values. So the Lord begins this section of the sermon with the first metaphor, and it's treasure. And we see this in verse 1, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So the first thing we noticed here is that your treasure is safe in Christ's kingdom. It's absolutely safe there. And so that's where you want to invest. So let's get some context to what Jesus is talking about here. In the time that Christ did his ministry on earth, clothing that was obtained from the east often was very, very expensive, but it could very easily be destroyed by moths, and so it could just disappear virtually overnight. Someone listening could have also been thinking about grain, because he's talking about rust here, and that can either be translated as it is, rust that you'd find on your car here in Minnesota, or other kinds of decay, such as a harvest that has gone bad. And that could happen very easily by worms or from the weather. And so Jesus is saying only a fool would put his security there. And furthermore, any riches that were kept in homes, that was highly suspect because the way they built homes then, they used bricks made of mud so a thief could literally dig into a home. So nothing was safe here on earth. And the bottom line, Jesus is saying that to invest in such fleeting things is foolishness. And he makes that so very clear here. But in verse 20, we see a positive that's up against the negative. He says, but, in other words, I want you to do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because here, the treasure is safe. Moths can't destroy. Thieves can't steal. These treasures are beyond compare in beauty and worth. More importantly, they are safe. And here's what theologian Alan Barnes says about this, and I really like this. In heaven, nothing corrupts. Nothing terminates. No enemies plunder or destroy. To have treasure in heaven is to possess evidence that its purity and joys will be ours. It is to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and it fadeth not away. And that's what Jesus is alluding to here. First Peter is really helpful in this regard, and Barnes took much of his quote from this passage. Blessed be the 
God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, it will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved for you. So compared to anything on earth, the treasures of heaven are immeasurable. They're incomprehensible. And so why would we want to drive all of our treasure toward the temporal when we can have what lasts? And so seeking eternal treasure is what it means to align our loyalty to the values of Christ's kingdom. Now, it's important to note, Jesus is in no way saying that owning things is bad. But what he is saying is that to love these things is antithetical to the values of his kingdom. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that the love of money is the source of all kinds of evil. It's not the money itself. It's how we view it, what we do with it. Do we love it more than we love the things of God? That's what Jesus is driving at. So, of course, that leads to a very difficult question. What do you treasure? And this convicting verse ends the section in 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, if you wonder where you are on the spectrum of living for the temporal or living for the eternal, to use a common phrase, follow the money. Where do you spend it? What do you do with it? Do you spend more time trying to earn money or build financial security than you do building the kingdom of God? No one likes to have those questions posed. I don't like that question, but it's an important question because Jesus is saying that what you do with your money reflects what is in your heart. And and Jesus is using that wonderful metaphor of treasure. Things can be destroyed on earth. They are safe in heaven. The second metaphor that Jesus uses to help us to paint this contrast between eternal and temporal is a bit more confusing as it's put here, and that is light. And so we learn here that light accompanies living in sync with Christ's kingdom. Now, there are a couple of different ways to interpret Jesus' words here. One way would be to connect it with the previous paragraph, and it really becomes, light becomes a a GPS inside of us. Our eyes are directing us like a map, and it's taking us toward something good, something eternal. And in the Jewish way of speaking here, your whole body is a Jewish expression of you or yourself. So the the light here is a GPS to help you go in the right direction, to help you find what is eternal. It can also be interpreted as an outward beam of light. Think of the headlines, headlights in your car. They're beaming ahead and they're helping you see the road. 
And here, light helps you see the right road. So what does a good eye do? A good eye helps you to stay on the road. A bad eye takes you off of the right road. And so that's what Jesus is referring to here. And light is an incredibly valuable resource. And that's why we chose this idea of illuminate. The lamp, of course, at Ridgewood reflects souls that are saved. But the light is also about illuminating our community for Christ. It's about illuminating our own walk with Christ. Light is important. Sin is exposed by light. When people walk into the light, they can deal with health issues and relationships and and all of the financial issues that we deal with. And Jesus, of course, said that believers are the light of the world. And so Ridgewood Church is a place that can shine an amazing light. We can show the world what it means to have salvation through Jesus Christ. We are perfectly located in Minnetonka to provide hope to our community. And we're moving in those directions. This whole Illuminate project is not just about a building. It's about growing our general fund so that we can do all sorts of of ministries. But it's all about salvation at the end of the day. It's all about finding the light. So my question for you is, have you walked into the light of Christ? Have you walked out of the darkness that you've been living in, and have you walked toward the light that Jesus is offering? It's so easy to get caught up in the treadmill of life. It's so easy to buy into this cultural cynicism. It's so easy to just get wrapped up in politics and and COVID-19. But what Jesus is offering in the light is real peace, real joy, real contentment. He's offering you a chance to get off the treadmill, to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. And he's offering you something that you can find nowhere else because he is the one Jesus died to pay the price for sin. He made atonement for sin. He took your place. So that through belief in Him as the Son of God, through repentance of sin and seeking forgiveness and telling Him that you want to follow Him, then you will be in the light. Not just for now, but all of eternity. And that's what we call being saved. The question is, have you walked in that direction? And now's a good time to do that if you never have. So as a church at Ridgewood, let's keep our eyes on that focus. Let's let's not get distracted. Because what we want to do is illuminate our city with the light of Jesus. Because Jesus is so desperately needed. And what he's doing here in this amazing sermon is he's painting a picture. Moth and rust destroy. Only that which is an eternity last. A good eye will keep you on the right road and drive you toward eternity. And that will keep you in sync with Christ's kingdom. And he finishes this section with a third metaphor, and it's slavery, actually. And here's what it means. Slavery to temporal pursuits hinders your ability to interact with Christ's kingdom. 
It's about slavery to temporal things. So if we look in verse 24, Jesus puts out a challenge regarding where you will decide to finally plant your flag. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Choice has to be made. So, in order to really understand this, we need to understand the culture within which Jesus was operating. When we think of masters in our culture, we think of bosses, because slavery isn't really an issue in the West. And the slavery that Jesus is talking about was not generally the harsh slavery that we think of in the 1800s here in the U.S. In the Jewish system, a person could, after seven years, choose to leave a, a master, or that slave could choose to doulos, serve his master. But, here's the catch. When that choice was made, the slave could only serve that one master exclusively. And that was a choice that could be made. That's what Jesus is saying here. Loyalties cannot be divided when it comes to God and money. You can't serve both of them. You have to decide which one you're going to serve. If we choose money, we're choosing the riches of the world. And then we are violating the will of God. And I, I love John Calvin's quote on this. It's simple, but it gets to the heart of it. He says, when we choose to serve money, we are then alienated from God and have abandoned the service of God for covetousness, and that makes us slaves of the devil. So, Calvin was pulling no punches. And it's not that people who are rich can't serve God. Quite the contrary. They, they have a wonderful opportunity to serve God. But it's what you give your heart over to. That's the question. What do you do with those riches? And Jesus also made it clear that the more you have, the harder it is to give up. And so, this is a call to all of us to put aside the values of culture and pursue the values in the kingdom of Christ. Are you devoted completely to God? That's really the discipleship question. And money just highlights it. It turns our attention to it. We can see clearly where we are devoted. Do you put your confidence in temporal things like possessions, like how people see you, how your kids behave, your popularity, your health, your politics? Do you put your hope in your financial security? And as a church, what is our focus? What do we want to be? We've decided we want to be a church that makes Jesus known through community impact. So this whole illuminate thing is to reach that vision. It's not to make ourselves comfortable. In fact, I would argue it's to make ourselves uncomfortable because we have to learn to serve eternal things and not temporal things. And as we're deciding what to give and what pledges to make, and Wendy and I have been through this process, we pray and we let God show us a number and then we sacrifice to get there. It's really about discipleship. So this passage is really radical because 
It calls for a departure from everything that our culture espouses. It calls for a departure from many of the things we've been taught. It's about pure discipleship. It's about unstained it's about being unstained by cultural values that we're so immersed in. And it calls our church, Ridgewood Church, to be different. It calls us to be pure. It calls us to be missional. It calls us to be generous. So Illuminate is about building restoration. It's about growing our budget. It's about having more to reach across the globe. It's about a preschool. It's about a safe children's ministry. It's about all of that. But what that really is, is illuminating our city with the love of Jesus Christ. And we can only do that when we align ourselves with the values of Christ's kingdom. So let me pray that we might be that kind of a church and that kind of people. Dear God, I just lift up our beautiful flock to you at Ridgewood Church. I pray, God, that we would continue to keep our focus on what matters, that we keep our eye on the ball, that all of what we celebrate and illuminate is not about our own needs and our own comfort, but it's about fulfilling our vision to make Jesus known. It's about helping our city see you and see light in the midst of an incredibly dark time. And so, God, I just pray that you would provide the resources we need to do what you've called us to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.